0: Live, epic, occasionally based. It's the Split Take podcast, which used to be produced by the Film Sync and is currently homeless, even though the Film Sync <laughs> kind of exists still. We are
1: without sponsors. Uh, we uh, well, if we ever had lost. one, we we were
0: sponsored by ourselves. We pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. And the the friends and strangers who generously listen to us talk about
1: movies shout out to other chandler shout out to uh dj even though goddamn your letterbox is an atrocity and wow that's, if you that's hear conversation this we need to have. at work uh i'm sorry buddy but we gotta talk <laughs> we gotta talk uh
0: yeah uh, some some negative ratings for some tarkovsky's for fanny and alexander not negative Oof. ratings but less than less not than high enough ratings yeah. And so I think maybe not this episode, ever, and- since we are in a little bit of a time crunch today, uh, we'll be talking about the, the benefits of slow, slow boring, slow, slow cinema, so-called, yeah. so-accused. So thank
1: you, DJ. You inspired an episode topic. Yes. Uh, a proper discussion,
0: which, you know, I feel like we've kind of, we should do more of that. Like we've do, yeah, been sure. doing a lot of just what have we been watching and then movie discussions. Whereas it'd be nice to have every once in a while, instead of what have we been watching, just like thoughts on, on movie topics. I agree. What do we, what do we think? Because uh, theoretically that's the interesting part of this whole
1: But today endeavor. we have our first topic. We do have our
0: first topic and what we're going to be doing uh, today, this is a, a weird episode because last week we recorded our Inside, Bo Burnham's Inside, comedy special episode <laughs> Nothing review. Nothing else. Uh, and that's it. We didn't have enough time for Goodfellas, which was the, the paired movie. So we're going to do just Goodfellas this week. We're also going to be doing a uh, review of our top five uh, favorite Blu-rays we have in our collection. That we own. That yeah. We own. Uh, not including Criterions because those would be. That's its everything. own video. Yeah, that'll be its own video. So we're This also gives us an
1: opportunity to make a clickbait video um, that says top five Blu-rays released in region A.
0: I was about to disagree because I do have a couple region B's, but no, they're not. They're not in my top. <laughs> uh,
1: close. Also, though. I will be I will be uh, presenting these Blu-rays in the order uh, uh, least best to best.
0: Interesting. I I have I will be presenting in, in no order in particular. So we'll be doing the Blu-ray review and then we'll be doing our Goodfellas uh, review. Uh, we'll also just briefly mention what we've been watching this week, but not uh, nearly any kind of long discussion about those things. So. Without further ado, uh, I will introduce this segment uh, as being the first kind of like specialty segment of the Split Take podcast, which will remain in this episode. But it will also be spliced out of the episode and made into its own separate video on YouTube uh, as kind of a hundred subscriber special because we, uh, we reached, I want to say about a month ago, we reached a hundred subscribers. Thank you. hundred people. actually. Thanks, uh, subs care enough to press the subscribe based subs and
1: these most of these people were subbed before we even had video it's just they were it's just subbed to us audio of us talking about movies this is different yeah and so if this this goes over
0: well we will be doing more uh special content like this short uh constrained conversations top tens what whatever what have you on the podcast that i can edit out and maybe do some extras uh editing and uh, make it look uh nice and spicy for uh for And uh, in a more digestible chunk, because these episodes do tend to run long. They tend to be uh, a bit of a bit of a mouthful to to listen to. Uh, so e- even I recognize that sometimes we do tend to just kind of ramble. And well, uh, that is partially if there is any appeal, I feel like it might be that, but um. Uh, That's a big if, if there is any appeal to the podcast to begin with. Anyway, I'm rambling. So we're going to be talking about our (laughs) top five favorite Blu-rays today. Uh, Obviously, you can see a bit of my Blu-ray collection uh, in the background. You can't see Chandler's because it's in a different room uh, because Chandler is roomless. I am roomless. Not not houseless, roomless. No, Um, just roomless. And so these Blu-rays are not going to be Criterion Collection uh, because we both could make lists just just of those. And it would uh, crowd out crowd out your regular good old blu-ray with the blue case uh blu-rays so uh we're going to be talking about those our top five each so it's going to be a top 10 when you
1: go one five. at a time
0: yeah yeah sure let's go uh, back one forth. after sure. another kind of split it up all right uh so without further ado i'm, I'm i don't think there's going to be any needs any more introduction actually no so we we there is a little more introduction <laughs> We selected these Blu-rays based on our own criteria. I didn't really tell Chandler anything specific. So it's uh, whether you like the cover, whether you like the movie, whether you like this bonus features, whatever. Also price. Price too. Price is a big one. you have for liking the Blu-ray. And we'll obviously go into those reasons as to why we've picked what we have picked. Yeah. Uh, And... I'm pretty sure we're going to be recommending all these Blu-rays that we're yes, on, well,
1: obviously. I will say this right out the gate. Um, one Blu-ray that I did not select, partially because it's not here. I lent it to a friend. But if it was here, I probably would have pick it was my uh, Lord of the Rings Extended Edition box set. That is uh, that's a film school. That is a $75 film school. Um, my only complaint, it's a nice box set. I can show it next time we record. But my only complaint with that one is that they split the movies into two discs. Kind of dumb. Um, but yeah, so if any, if, if I got Lord of the Rings the nerds pissed at me for not including what is essentially the greatest, uh, collection of behind the scenes, uh, uh, st- footage ever, well, that's why it's not here yeah. and shout out to Brian Sandu for not uh, returning it. Very funny. All right. So
0: who's going first? Uh, you can go first. All right, cool. Uh, no idea what to start with. So why don't we go with. Sure, sure, so this blu-ray uh is very f- pretty freely available at Barnes and Noble, often on sale, and it is the uh phantom oh, red blu-ray, I have that one which uh you might not recognize right off the bat because it actually has a reversible cover, and the the original cover is this on the inside not as good which is fine, but clearly nowhere near as good as this wonderful cover now, and Jacob, uh,
1: back. let me see the back of yours real quick.
0: It's a uh, never cursed the the thing that Alma. Sews right. into the, the uh, garments
1: continue speaking about this. I will be back in one Perfect. second.
0: And uh, also, I don't know if you can see in the, the video, there's also a uh, disc made in Mexico stamp on there, which, uh, you know, some people might think that brings down the value. It actually uh, brings up the value. Very cool. Let's me know where the disc was made important information okay so well, i'm uh, back phantom thread his because won. i
1: literally went to go pick up my phantom thread copy to show you that because that pisses me off to no end that it has the made in mexico thing but i'm glad you see some value in it i don't um but it is a uh <laughs> this pick particular is one
0: it's a great movie two i love the cover and probably out of all it's the blu rays we're going to talk about i mostly picked that one based on the uh the lovely cover which i think goes with the movie and the fact that it's on a blu-ray paul thomas anderson doesn't have the most amount of special features on a lot of his movies no um, really one, doesn't unfortunate it, it has enough to be to be uh worthwhile it's got some uh, some camera tests from him uh, a little behind the scenes a little bit behind the scenes some deleted scenes from the the film so there's there's enough enough there to make it a good blu-ray purchase and uh, i do like See, watching the movie and like know, having it. It's a great
1: movie. We have, we have talked about this movie on the podcast last yeah. year with Nick uh, as well
0: priced. As I, as I said, always yeah, pretty much always yeah. on sale at Barnes and Noble. So even without the, the bonus features, it's a good deal.
1: Bonus features uh, in Paul Thomas Anderson. That's a theme because I, I find the, the criterion for punch drunk love to be similarly lacking, which is especially an issue considering it's criterion, but you know, great movie looks amazing, covers great. Uh, My first Blu-ray is, this is my cheating Blu-ray, because I don't know if we discussed whether or not TV was off the table, whatever, but how could I not choose this? It is the Twin Peaks Complete Collection. Uh, It is the television collection. It comes in this nice, thick case. Look at that. It's a big case. The first two seasons, all 18 parts of The Return, and a shit ton of special features for both. Um, obviously, if we're talking like Twin Peaks releases, the Z to A um, it's stuff, if anyone's familiar, that has basically all this, but it comes with uh, Fire Walk With Me. That's probably the preferred uh, thing, but the Fire Walk With Me Criterion, I feel, is essential to have on its own because it has a lot of stuff that's not included in the Z to A, whatever. So if if you're asking me, personal big Twin Peaks fan, what you need to get if you want the whole experience, you get this. And you get Firewalk with Me Criterion. You have everything that you'd ever want. That was also I picked up for fifty dollars on sale, which
0: is absolutely insane. How much it was? It's pretty good for getting two seasons of a TV show and yeah,
1: a a season of a TV show slash
0: movie and yeah,
1: yeah. I haven't checked the special features for the original series. I can't imagine it's anything too extensive, but the stuff that they have for the return is amazing. That's yeah, where a lot. I'm sure you and I have both seen all these clips of David Lynch on the set of the return. That's uh, David Lynch at his prime uh, directing little kids, arguing producers. It's, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Uh, I will not
0: be mentioning. I, I was torn about this. And since you picked your uh, twin peaks, blu-ray i i feel less torn about not putting this officially on my list but it is a slightly different version it's <laughs> just the the season three blu-ray which is excellently designed It's so much fun it's so much fun to pull apart and uh it has all i'm pretty sure similar special features and all that kind of stuff but this is a uh, i'm sure it's the same a well-made solid constructed uh case set for the uh
1: third season so um that's also, fun fact, that is uh, what Jacob lent me when I finally watched The Return. Yeah. He lent that to me over a weekend. I watched it all in two days, and I returned it to him promptly. So, uh, next. next. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. That, I thought that, that, that was your next. No,
0: didn't, didn't count. Wow. That was just making a mention <laughs> of, of Twin Peaks uh, tends to have good, yeah, uh, yeah, good yeah, content of course, of course. in general, uh, which isn't the case for a lot of TV shows. They don't get uh, Blu-ray love.
1: They really don't. Breaking Bad has a good one, too. Yeah. Uh,
0: my next one is a very recent addition to my collection and it is mostly here because, uh, recency bias. I'm going to factor that in and say that is definitely something that's uh, going on here, but it is my blu-ray copy of touch of evil. Uh, now perfectly fine cover, uh, it's about what you expect. I, last time I checked, it was not available on Amazon prime specifically, but you can get it on Amazon through like third party sellers. I don't know what they're doing with this Blu-ray anymore. Um, but the thing that's really fun is the amount of frickin' special features, uh, four different commentaries, three different versions of the movie, uh, documentaries. It, uh, I have yet to, to fully even uh, explore this, and I, I actually recently uh, re... Uh, we watched Touch of Evil recently for the podcast, and I watched the original theatrical cut, and I just recently watched the, uh, the reconstructed version from the late 90s. And it was a, uh, a wild experience being able to, to see something closer to what uh, Orson Welles really uh, envisioned. And just for that, just because it has both of those versions, including a preview version, which I have no clue what to expect from <laughs> that, but I I'll, suppose I'll get to it eventually. Uh, this, good, good, if you can find it, good bang for your buck. Lots of uh, content there. Orson Welles, you can never go wrong.
1: It's true. It's true. Uh, this one... Um... This one is similar to the last one where the the main draw for this to me is the the price uh and that is the director's cut edition of david fincher's zodiac uh, uh i had a I had a very tough time picking between this and uh this, which is his uh the social network mm. um I just narrowly went with this because uh I like this cover a lot. It's it, it mimics the Zodiac um, letters. It even says, it's hard to see, special features spelled incorrectly. Um, and, you know, I like the social networks cover. It's a little simple. But this, like the entire first, it's two discs. The entire first disc is the movie. Um, a really detailed behind-the-scenes look at the making of the movie. And two commentaries, one with David Fincher and one with... Um, Jake Hall, Robert Downey Jr. and the producers. But the second disc is interesting because it's two big feature length documentaries about feature length. wow, feature length. The first one is feature length. The second one might be like an hour, hour 10, but the, f- the first one is a feature length documentary about the Zodiac. So it gives you like a general, it basically distills a lot of what's in the book down to a documentary um and then the second one gives uh, it's a documentary about specifically Arthur Lee Allen who is largely believed to be the Zodiac killer which is the character at the end you know that they mm-hmm. uh, profile um it's prob I flip-flop a lot between Zodiac and the social network as my favorite fincher um but this one really scratches that true crime itch it looks nice but the the craziest part to me is that this uh I when I got it, it was cheap, but I checked recently at Zia. This is $7 at Zia. Wow. The Blu-ray is $7. I, I
0: don't have a copy of Zodiac, so maybe I, I should pick that one up.
1: It's, it's pretty good. And David Fincher's commentaries are always funny to me, mm. so that's fine.
0: So, speaking of David Fincher, my next favorite Blu-ray is David Fincher's Gone Girl. Is also a
1: great
0: one, underrated. I I suppose I don't know. David Fincher's <laughs> been getting some love recently, and I feel like when not it would, for Mank, not not for Mank, <laughs> but uh, some of his older work. And I I feel like when Gone Girl first came out, people were like, "Oh, this is interesting, fun movie." uh you know, go uh, go on a date, watch Gone Girl. What? Uh, how could you go wrong? Uh, but you know, it was kind of dismissed as just another movie. And then I think a lot of people have been reevaluating it as a very entertaining thriller and something that has uh, some interesting commentary on relationships and other things. And yada yada yada. Especially, I'm not here to talk about the movie, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, so the thing about the Blu-ray is. I just like the movie i like having owning the movie it's a it's a nice front cover um but the real thing and i've never i don't actually care all that much but it's more the fact that it's here is the fact that it has inside a little amazing wow that's fun booklet uh which that's a lot of fun i could care less about this But it is fun just to be able to to have that. Like they went the extra mile just to put this in there and. um,
1: Cool stuff. You know what? Knowing David Fincher and his level specificity, I bet he required that a full length version of that book already exists before they start filming. So I'm sure they just included it. That does raise an interesting point because I have that Blu-ray and it was only five dollars at Zia. And I wondered why it was only five dollars. It's because it doesn't include the booklet. So I never knew it had the booklet. So that's fun
0: and then of course it has just uh, these things all all pop out of a little sleeve and it has just your normal little blu-ray cardboard there it is uh and it has a commentary by David fin- Fincher it's not particularly loaded or anything like that regarding special features but one i love commentaries they trump all other uh special features for the most part especially if they're by the director right uh so this is just is fun they put some effort into it i like the movie so uh
1: that's Gone Girl. That's a fun time. Ah, uh, this is one I got recently, and I even I haven't even gone through it all the way. But this is just a, a beautifully packaged uh, Blu-ray, which is Ah uh, Dog Day Afternoon. It's a 40th anniversary reissue Blu-ray. Directed by um, It's got Ratt. two discs. Sidney Lamette, Al Pacino, John Cazale. Ah, uh, the first one is just the movie with uh, special features. You know, um, four part making of documentary. Uh, and commentary by Sidney Lumet, who, you know, if you're not familiar with Sidney Lumet, he did Dog Day Afternoon. He did Network. He did 12 Angry Men. He did um, Murder on the Orient Express, which Jacob has talked about extensively. Um, but he also has arguably the greatest book on movie making, which is uh, make it's, just, it's called Making Movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic book. Which I have borrowed the second from disc, Nick. Nick
0: Yes, Nick has dinner or turn yeah. it for the longest time as um, one does when, when you did the, the second
1: book. disc. It's it's interesting because the second disc is it has a feature length film, a documentary feature length uh, documentary called. I knew it was you rediscovering John Cazale. If you're not familiar with John Cazale, he's uh, this guy. He's in a lot of uh, great movies at this time. He's in Dog Day Afternoon, The Deer Hunter, The Godfather the conversation the conversation he was in five movies before
0: his death and all five movies were nominated and i think most of them won best picture
1: yeah so he was just a lightning in a bottle kind of actor it's a documentary just discussing his legacy his acting style um it's got extended interviews with al pacino um and it's got two short films i assume by lamette um, but it's just, you know, it's a, it's a crazy amount of content for one disc. And I also, I fucking love this movie. So it was like 15 bucks as well. Cheap buy.
0: Yeah. Uh, this one you can usually find also at uh, Barnes & Noble, usually pretty cheap, even if it's not. And it is uh, Akira Kurosawa's Ron, which is Would in- you also the, lent me? Uh, Studio Canal Blu-ray. Uh, it, Ron was originally at one point in the Criterion Collection, and now it's no longer in the Criterion Collection. And I'm just happy that there's a Blu-ray out there. Uh, cuz there are some kurosawa that don't that don't have blu-rays and that's a crime. It really a is an actual crime. But this is uh it's a fairly standard blu-ray. The just the fact that it's I have it is nice cuz I really like kurosawa I like owning all those movies and um, it's it's great movie. It's got some uh, interesting bonus features including a feature-length documentary uh about the making of the movie by the director Chris Marker. Who, if you remember, was the director of *Sans Solil, the movie we discussed?
1: Do you remember <laughs> that? I do. No, I remember it. Oh, okay, no, I remember it. Okay.
0: Uh, and there's another one. There's another movie coming up by him. I, th- I think it's by him on the in the in the BFI list. Sorry. And this other one, This other yeah. documentary type thing. I yes. think if I get this the, the timeline correct, he. For the movie Sanso Lil, there's a lot of Japanese footage, footage in Japan, and he filmed that around the same time he filmed was on the set of Ron with Kurosawa. Interesting. Interesting. So interesting kind of intersection there. Um, And yeah, and then there's another documentary and uh, some other uh, Japanese history and uh, stuff. So uh, a a well-packaged Blu-ray. I'm glad it exists. I prefer, obviously, Kurosawa to be just in the Criterion Collection, but... Hmm i'll take what i can get
1: a uh, very quick anecdote um reading i was rereading siniel Met's book and it opens with this interesting uh, story that he heard from kurosawa where uh, he was asked by an interviewer about a specific shot in ron about uh, a giant field like a it's just a shot of a giant open field in a mountain mm-hmm. and he thought it was he was it was framed oddly and he asked kurosawa why would you choose that field or that mountain and he said, well, because to the left of it was the Sony factory and to the right of it was a giant parking lot. <laughs> well, you know. it's well, a pretty good reason. Yeah. Uh, this one, now this... All week, up until about an hour ago, this was going to be my number one pick, but it just recently got bumped. Uh, but this is just the gold standard for Blu-rays, in my opinion, and that is the John Carpenter's The Thing. Not the one that you have, the Shout Factory or Scream, Scream Factory, uh, Deluxe Edition, which, my God, this is, this is what a a Deluxe Edition should be. It has the movie. It has, uh, three different commentary tracks. Uh, one with Dean Cundey, oh, just two, actually. One with Dean Cundey, and one which has, and I honestly believe of all of the, uh, Oh hey, how's it
0: going?
1: Oh, are you playing downstairs now?
0: Well, they're waiting. They want to oh, okay.
1: you can use my computer. Okay. Uh, this you is cut control. this cut this out. So ghost edit. I'm just gonna start from the beginning. Uh, this is, in my opinion, this is what uh, every deluxe edition of a Blu-ray should be. Uh, it's John Carpenter's The Thing. Which is the Shout Factory, Scream Factory, made the same mistake twice, um, which they do a lot of deluxe edition type stuff for a lot of different mainly horror stuff. Um, They have a lot of editions of John Carpenter stuff in general because uh, people just gravitate to his work, I guess. But this has two discs. The first one just has the movie. It has two commentaries, one by um, uh, the DP, Dean Cundy, who also did Jack and Jill. Um, And the other one, which I do believe of all of the commentary tracks I've heard, this is my favorite because Mm, it is John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Uh, These two have just an immediate friendship in chemistry almost 20 years after the movie was made. It's very wholesome Um, and it's the perfect mixture of legitimate like filmmaking knowledge, um, on set anecdotes, um, making fun of people. And just two friends catching up.
0: It is important. Uh, It is important. That that sounds wholesome. Some of the best. It's very wholesome.
1: Just uh, cast and crew kind of hanging out and also dropping some knowledge. Yeah. You know, they learned a lot. But it also has it goes above and beyond because it has um, it has teaser trailers. It has theatrical trailers. It has TV spots. It has radio spots. It has an edited version of the movie that was made for broadcast on TV. So. It's like a shitty VHS rip. You can see how they cut around like a lot of the really disgusting gore.
0: Hmm.
1: And on the second disc, that's where you have the network broadcast edition. You have shit tons of interviews. You have a feature length documentary on the making of the thing. You have uh, uh, product reels, stills, behind the scenes footage, archive footage, deleted scenes, outtakes, the uh, uh, It's just everything. Everything you need to know about the making of this movie is included in this disc. And it's two discs. Uh, The sleeve is reversible. There's the second cover. I don't like it as much. Hmm. Um, But yeah, and it was for like 30 bucks, which, you know, expensive. But you can learn everything about filmmaking in this thing. That's also just one of my favorite movies of all time. So perfect Blu-ray, in my opinion.
0: My fifth and final favorite, and this is probably just my favorite. I had my previous blu-rays were just uh, on a whim, chose them oh, well, those are what struck me today as what my my favorites were they they could change who knows um but this one probably is is my favorite, and it's been my favorite for a while um and it is my uh thirtieth anniversary collector's edition of Blade Runner. <laughs> and this is a beautiful a uh, little 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 blu-ray, little blu-ray book thing going on here. It is it's three discs. It's got a just quality simple uh simple cover art. Uh but all the discs oh. have their own little uh little vibe going on. The original poster there, the artwork for that one and then uh another poster going on there.
1: Is that a uh, booklet in between the two? It ones? is a little
0: booklet. So in the middle of the the blu-ray, it's just
1: a Oh my god.
0: booklet of uh, little uh storyboards, uh, the sets actors, um, design, work. Um, it's good to just flip through. There's nothing too in-depth or anything, but a nice little visual aid to just see some behind-the-scenes visual aids for the, the film. The thing that makes this really special is that Blade Runner is notoriously a uh, film that has been released many times with many different cuts. So this has all of the different cuts on there. Uh, it How, is, all three or more? Uh, there's more. So the the main oh, disc God. is the is the final cut. <laughs>
1: Okay, the best uh, cut.
0: <laughs> disc two has the original theatrical cut, the international theatrical cut, and the director's cut. And then disc three Jesus. has uh, the work print edition. Uh, so that's before the theatrical release. And then also has special features. And the one important special feature on there, which I have yet to see unfortunately, uh, is I think it's like a three-hour documentary called Dangerous Days on the, the making of Blade Runner.
1: But is it, if I remember correctly, and I'm going to have to look it up real quick, uh, didn't Mark Cremode make that? Yeah, he might have.
0: I know he's he's been a big fan of that and he has done a couple documentaries on things, but uh, great artwork, lots of content. Uh, I, I don't really go back and revisit the other uh copies, the other uh, That's nice to have. Yes, it's nice to have. It is uh, a good reminder that there's like five different versions of Blade Runner. It is nice to have all of them because uh, that way the studio can never take them away from me like they have with the original cuts of uh, Star Wars and other movies. So, based Ridley, it's now in my it's now in my possession and I can peruse the original the beautiful artistic work of the original theatrical release and or and harrison ford's uh voiceover whenever whenever i choose if i ever choose to go back to that
1: so i i I had to look it up it's called the on the edge of blade runner that's the one mark cramow did mark cramow did movies for uh alien or documentaries on alien blade runner john carpenter clockwork orange the extra system dario agento interesting uh, so, so find your final one final one uh and this is just it's probably my favorite blu-ray i own and that is my giant mega deluxe edition of uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest wow maybe i've showed you this before um but we got here it, this is a little booklet with the beautiful jack nicholson uh comes with the disc it's got I think it's got some special features. I, I don't know. If I remember correctly, there's a commentary. I don't know who's on it. It comes with the disc. Uh, it also comes with, in that little booklet, um, a little, I don't know what this is. It's like a little uh, a thing of stills and a making of, and it's, it's really similar to the Criterion booklets that you'd see. Mm-hmm. But also, mm-hmm. it's got little uh, uh, posters for international posters, I guess. Uh, Jack yeah. Nicholson. Huh. Uh, more more Jack cool. Nicholson. It's been a talent. long
0: time since I've seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, so it's a very good. This movie. you've reminded me of a few films I might need to get Blu-rays for
1: this, this in is the near future. One. But that's not all. So that's that's just the that's just the booklet. But when there's a, there's more. There's there's a second one, a legitimate booklet. It's like a little opens up, uh, almost a book. It's almost a book. Yeah, inside. It's it's got little character bios, not character actor bios. There's Brad Dorf, there's Danny DeVito, uh, basically saying what they did up until that point, um, their filmography. It's God, it's it, it's super extensive. It talks about the locations, the filming, the scripts, the uh, the, the marketing, the distribution. Absolutely insane. And then it also comes with this little thing here. It's a little, uh, it's a little fun little envelope, kind of like the thing in Dr. Strange, love. Inside of that are little headshots! Jack Nicholson, Louis Fletcher, and so on. But that's still not all, Oh my goodness, there's more? This is it. This is wow. my they favorite really element. Up. It's a little piece of paper that inside of it, it holds. Fuck, hold on. I'm messing with this. and trying to get out. Uh, it holds... Get over here! A little... pack... of playing cards. With their faces on it! Well, I guess it's Jack Nicholson's face. Well, little playing cards! Oh no, it does have their faces. So there's the ace. There's Jack. Hmm. And I uh, don't remember him, don't remember his name, but uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, I, I would really have to check to see what's on the actual disc, but as far as like dumb little goodies that my child brain is stimulated by, this is an S-tier Blu-ray <laughs> release. I just remember, because I also picked this up at Zia Used for about mm. 20 bucks.
0: Uh, and when I got home good.
1: and I unpacked it and I saw all the shit was in there, I thought, damn, that was worth $20.
0: That's, that's a good deal. I'd buy that for a dollar, as the expression goes.
1: Is One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest on the BFI list? Oh. I don't know. I don't Is know. If, it
0: could be. I'm going to guess no, but it could be.
1: Well, what about uh, Amadeus?
0: No. I know for sure that's wow. not. Wow. Yeah, it's a,
1: I am cringing. it's a
0: crime. It's a crime that it's not on the BFI list. It's it's simply unacceptable.
1: Those so are yeah, two of those the best movies Blu-ray. ever made. Two. I I agree. I agree. One for the Kugnast is one of my personal favorites. So there we go. Yeah,
0: so those are our favorite Blu-rays. Uh, I know for me, it's gonna it's gonna change. Uh, yeah, same. Uh, all over, and particularly now that I'm I'm getting more. Other like non Criterion boutique Blu-rays, uh, like the the uh, Legend of the Mountain Blu-ray I have, and just started a couple uh, Arrow mm-hmm. and uh, like Goodbye Goodbye Dragon in cover kind of uh, a miss. If the cover was better, I might even have considered uh, talking about it today. But it's uh, you know collecting yeah, more of those. Companies. It's a constant process of. Getting more Blu-rays and, uh, you know, if we check in another year or so, it it might be a completely different list. Who knows? Never know. know. But we will probably talk about our favorite criterions at some point. Uh,
1: We have to. We have
0: to. I have no idea where to begin with making that decision, though. There's one, there's so many. And two, a lot of my favorite movies are just just on there and they all have great bonus features. So
1: it's like uh, picking children. Which are your favorite (laughs) children? And I'd have to reckon with the fact that I would probably choose Sallow somewhere in there. Oh no! Because love it or hate it, that is a great release.
0: I'd have to reckon with that.
1: Hmm.
0: Hmm. (laughs) All right. So before we get on to Goodfellas, which we shall momentarily, I will just go through quickly what I've been watching. Uh, I watched. Billy Wilder's Witness for the Prosecution, which I have seen before, sort of, in bits and pieces, starring Marlena Dietrich and some some uh, some other people. Uh, it's a great, great movie. It's on Amazon Prime, I believe, at the moment. It was written by Agatha Christie. It is a murder mystery of sorts, so it's tier uh, an S-tier writer there uh, delivering great script. And, of course, Billy Wilder delivering a great directed uh, movie. It's not necessarily as um, deep or as lovable or whatever you want to say about the rest of uh, Wilder's filmography, but it is certainly um, it's one of his better ones and certainly one to check out if you haven't. Great mystery too. Uh, I'd be uh, curious to hear if anyone is uh, able to predict the ending. I am, because I I know Agatha Christie too well. (laughs) Um, The next. Uh, I think I watched Eat Drink Man Woman, which is an Ang Lee movie. I bought that. I talked about that before. Pretty good. It's like Yee Yee and Big Knight had a little brother. It's not quite as charming or as good as the, the other two, but it is at very least. Uh, Interesting. Worth your time. Uh, good food scenes? G- yeah, good food scenes. They're kind of. Uh, I, I would have liked more. I'll ah, say that. Okay. But what was there yeah. was good. Uh, Baraka, which is a 1993 documentary of sorts it's just nature footage and there's no commentary it's great it's beautiful uh i've seen bits and pieces before and i finally watched the whole thing all the way through it's it's kind of great for being just just shots random random shots of nature and around the world for an hour and a half um, my mom loved it too because we watched it together <laughs> watched harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban directed by uh alfonso corone alfonso it, it is uh it's a
1: masterpiece it's
0: not, <laughs> it's not. It's it's like it's a really great movie that I am so astounded that someone let him make that movie that I, I cannot help but just give it five stars because I'm like, fuck, it, you did it. You did. You won the the blockbuster franchise lottery and somehow you made the most of that. I watched Touch of Evil. Yes. Oh, go ahead. you know OK, I watched Touch of Evil again. Talked about that already. I watched Martin Scorsese's Shutter Island, uh, which I will bring up during our Goodfellas <laughs> discussion Uh just because I, forget I that's have. Him. Uh, an interesting relationship with Scorsese, and I think Shutter Island displays some of his both best and worst tendencies, all oh, in one interesting package. This is going to be uh, the split take. Split take of the century. Uh, the outlaw Josie Wales, directed by uh, <laughs> Eastwood, Clint Eastwood, everyone's That's it. favorite boomer. Uh, it's it's such an interesting beginning of the film <laughs> because he he is playing a Confederate soldier, and he's clearly sympathetic, and like they. It, the movie is clearly sympathetic 100% towards Confederacy and is very uh, critical of the Union and, and talking about uh, the bad shit they did, which they did do bad shit. It's war, but um, yeah, it, it's ta- tantamount to uh, endorsing the cause of the Confederacy, which I think is just bad uh, propaganda, filmmaking, ideology. Uh, it's also uh, clearly evident in the fact that, it, or ironic, that the most conservative and America-loving of uh, uh, Hollywood's actors, Clint Eastwood, was the one that made a pro-Confederacy movie. It is, however, one of the best, uh, has some of the best representation of Native Americans I've ever seen in a Western. That's so interesting. A plus on that. Most of the Confeder- Confederacy stuff is front-loaded in the film, and once you get past that, it's a pretty decent uh, Western Nowhere near as good as Sergio Leone's stuff, though. Clint is an interesting man. <laughs> good old Clint. <laughs> I what think a Clint's is. a great director, but yeah. he's a he's, yeah, he's good. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh,
0: and then I watched Mike Lee's Mister Turner. Great, beautiful. Uh, kind. It, it's too long, but I don't. I agree. I don't think that that's irrelevant criticism because I think it's exactly paced and produced the way Mike Lee wanted it to be, and I think it uh, overall it it was good. It was a good time. Um. You kind of have to get in the mood for, for art yeah. and enjoying the beautiful cinematography and just a, a very slow, subtle character, uh, character work going on in that film.
1: It's, it's definitely too long, but it's one of those things where me personally, I can never have enough Mike Lee. Mm. And and is not every movie made a little bit better with the inclusion of Leslie Manville? She's only has she like like the one scene, scene. scene and she, and she <laughs> makes the most out of that scene. She does. She I'll does. watch it again just for that. that's what i I gotta watch the commentary i have it Uh, i love mike lee's commentaries i'll get it to at some point i'll go rapid fire here i'll go with three that i watched that were just pretty good um i watched the gambler starring uh my favorite twitter personality james (laughs) con Which it's 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 a very simple movie. It's a two hour character study about a gambler who gambles and uh, why gambling's bad. It's good. Uh, it's kind of my favorite thing. I love movies about gambling. This is not as good as like Uncut Gems or California Split, but it's very, very good. Uh-huh. Um, I watched River's Edge. I just watched that last night. So, yeah, it's a movie about um, a, a little town in um, the Pacific Northwest, somewhere in North California, Oregon. It's a little high school. Where one guy uh, murders his girlfriend. That's that's how the movie begins. It's just he murders his girlfriend. He tells everybody he knows that he murders his girlfriend and takes them to see the body of said murdered girlfriend. And it's basically a movie detailing the fallout of it. It's odd because this movie was made in 86. Um, It has Dennis Hopper. hmm.
0: I get kind of like I get brick vibes from that premise in a way.
1: Kind of. Um, Very different. It's, it's, I, like, I, I can yeah. tell
0: it's different, but kind of, eh, yeah, anyway.
1: It's interesting because that's like the, it's like the, it's almost like sets it up to build a mystery out of it, but there is no mystery. It's just them dealing with like Crispin Glover's in it, and he's just trying his best to cover this up and defend his friend who killed somebody. Keanu Reeves like immediately goes to the cops. Dennis Hopper's in it, who plays like their weed dealers, kind of crazy. But what, what blows my mind about this is that this was made in eighty six, and there's a mm-hmm. lot of imagery that feels super Twin Peaks, hmm. especially that first season. But this is '86, so it came out like four years before Twin Peaks has Dennis Hopper. It makes me wonder if, um, I mean, God, look the poster itself. It's hard to see, but that is a that is a dead woman. Yeah, I can kind of just tell that, in yeah. in mm. the river in uh, yeah. It's 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 pretty good. Um, but two movies that I just I have to shout out because are fantastic. One of which is Babylon. Um, it is a movie about uh, a group of Jamaican immigrants living in England in the early '80s. It is fucking amazing. It it feels very much like Ken Loach and Mike Lee. It's just, you know, it's character-driven. It's clash-conscious. It's just about these people living this time period. Super uh, nuanced takes on, like, you know... Uh, racism and this sort of cycle of violence. It's one of the, it's so seeped in the culture of like reggae and just uh, the, the Jamaican experience with a lot of like, you need subtitles for this. I think it even puts it on for you at some points because mm. I don't understand what they're saying. It's, it's heavy slang. The music is amazing. The ending is fantastic. And it's one of those things where like it so accurately depicts this um, culture that I just assumed that the guy who made it was black. I look at the Q and a, Whiter than Mike Lee <laughs> wow. yeah, it's just the full cast and crews, like nothing. they're all like Jamaican guys, and then just the director just right there, the whitest Britishest guy that ever lived. very good. I recommend it it's about to come off the criterion channel. The Babylon kind of
0: reminds me uh, at least the premise of what I heard from you so far. It kind of reminds me of uh, uh, Steve McQueen, the director, uh Small axe which is yeah with a lot of uh, immigrants, same time and, period uh, too England, yeah, so a lot of lot of similarities. Uh, which it's also one
1: i need to finish watching that and two i, sh- I should just watch babylon 2 <laughs> it's, it's, it it's kind of similar it's uh it's also very similar to blind spotting because it's about the mm. main character who has a like a friend who's white and the fallout from that whatever and finally the movie that i watched which just went to my top three of this year that is william Friedkin's sorcerer oh wow holy shit a while ago. Hmm. That was like a week, yeah, a week, week and a half ago. So it's, if anyone doesn't know, it's it's a remake. He says it's not a remake because he more inspired it off the book, whatever. Um, it's based off the wages of fear, which is a a story about, um, desperate men who drive trucks full of highly explosive nitroglycerin through the South American jungle in order to earn enough money to get the hell out of the South American jungle. Uh, I like the wages of fear. I've seen it. I have the Criterion. it's very good. I think the ending's kind of stupid and it's a little too long. That was my big complaints. Sorcerer fixes both of those and it makes... The the actual gas scene, you know, the transporting scenes somehow makes him ten times more anxiety inducing like this might be the most nervous I've ever been watching a movie. It is absolutely insane. You just take a premise like that that is so inherently batshit insane. You make it in the 70s and you have William Friedkin direct it and it's just bound to be the most insane movie. Uh, I looked into this afterwards. There's a great interview between uh, Nick, uh, uh, William Friedkin and Nicholas Winding Refn on this movie specifically. I recommend uh, you you guys listen to that. But great movie. Third favorite of the year so far. But yeah, that's all I've been watching.
0: Hmm. Great. So we are now on to our BFI movie of the week. The movie is the one, the only Goodfellas. Uh, Goodfellas, if you don't know. Is a 1990 film directed by Martin Scorsese. It's a gangster film starring the one, the only Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Ray Liotta, uh, and some Bracco, other people Paul you Cervino. may or may not have heard of. Those are less famous, but still, they are great actors. Um, this is, uh, of course, it is a classic Martin Scorsese joint. So, uh, as you know, it has to have been edited by Thelma Shoemaker. The wife of our our favorite Michael <laughs> Powell of Michael Powell and Emerick Pressburger. A little uh, film history there. It's based on a book called Wise Guy by uh, Nicholas Pileggi. And it is on, Jeff I Red. believe, the. Have you? Well, I, I'd I have. I'd be yeah. curious already, to hear a little well. bit about the book, but um, it is on the director's list. It is not on the critic's list. It is That's number 48 on the director's list, voted for by. It's number 48 on the directors. 171 on the critics list. Let's see if there's anyone interesting who voted. Director Guillermo del Toro voted for that. David O. Russell. Um, and those are, are probably the biggest names of people who voted for Damn. Goodfellas. Um not helping the cause. Yeah, so uh, Goodfellas <laughs> is about the uh, the Life and Times of Henry Hill, a, uh, uh, who starts a young man who is uh, infatuated with the the life of mobsters and eventually gets uh, into that lifestyle as kind of a, a hitman muscle type guy, low level. Uh, and he makes friends with the Joe Pesci and
1: the- uh, He became the good fella. He became
0: the, a titular <laughs> good fella. And uh, he meets Jimmy, who's played by Robert De Niro, who's uh, uh, a very violent- uh, man in the mob, yada, yada, yada. Things happen, and it all eventually goes downhill. This is our first Martin Scorsese film. We're going to be talking probably a bit, a bit about Scorsese. And I have an interesting relationship with him, as I've never been uh, quite as enamored with him as other people have been. Cringing, so, cringing uh, at the moment. I, I know what Chandler thinks of this film, but for your benefit, dear audience, Chandler, what did you think
1: of Goodfellas? And how many times well, have you seen it? I've, this is, uh, <laughs> well, uh, this is probably, I want to say I'm somewhere between 20 and 25 times seeing Goodfellows. Uh, Goodfellows was the first movie that I watched where I thought, oh, this is cool. This is much better than The Cat in the Hat starring Mike, Mike Myers. Um, mm. And it brought me down this rabbit hole of film. Cangreous, there <laughs> Got me to where i am today and for the longest time it was my favorite movie now it's like number three or four recently or no i think it's number two now doesn't matter recently uprooted by uh inside lewin davis but doesn't matter because i still think this movie is absolute perfection this time i watched with the commentary which is not even really a commentary it was just a bunch of interviews that you can clearly tell were done Somewhere within the last 20 years strung together, but it didn't matter because it offered a lot of interesting insights. But uh, I'm not even going to, like, sugarcoat it. I do this th- think this deserves to be on the list, if anything, higher. It's one of my favorite movies. It's, I think Scorsese's objectively best movie. You probably disagree. But I'm curious to hear you because I like Martin Scorsese a lot. I don't like the same movies that a lot of people like, except for Goodfellas and Taxi Driver. Um, But I think he's just one of the most important filmmakers of all time. And he's one of the few that have managed to stay relevant way past um, his uh, his peak, quote unquote. So I am a a well-known
0: and vocal Scorsese contrarian. I will, however, (laughs) agree uh, that he is one of the most important filmmakers of all time. I would, however, disagree if you attempted to tell me he's one of the best filmmakers of all time. But that's a, an argument perhaps we need to get okay. to when we uh, we watch Raging Bull and Taxi Driver, oh. as those are considered his best. Although those are two films which have left me um, cold after watching. I agree it. with you on Raging Bull. I'm very much aware of Scorsese's artistic talents when it comes to those films. And I'm less so convinced. So it's interesting because I watched Taxi Driver and I know I'm going to like it more the next next time i watch it it just wasn't the right time it's a meme first time joke it is at this point um and i refuse to watch it simply one to wait for the podcast and two just to to frustrate chandler and our friend nick
1: (laughs) it's true Um, it's working
0: but like even you know even on our first viewing i could tell the the significance the impact the the aesthetic uh brilliance of taxi driver and, and including um raging bull i think Taxi driver has the the ability to potentially go go up in my estimation by quite a bit. Uh, Raging Bull, I am less I sold agree. on in general. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. and, and it mostly comes down to the storytelling because I think Martin Scorsese has an interesting way of of telling and relating stories, which I think just doesn't pull me in. And really, my only big uh, con- not concern, complaint, whatever you want to call it, when going into a Scorsese film is I'm never invested fully. I feel like there's more investment that I, I could be giving and I just can't for some reason. And I've tried a few of them a couple of times. Um, and uh, beyond Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, I think he has a, a powerful grasp on uh, the language of cinema, but in a way that just doesn't resonate me as, with me as being particularly interesting in and of itself. It feels like a very refined average filmmaking. Like This is, this is how you put yeah. a scene together. This is what you do. This is how you make it interesting. You do this, this, this. There's a scene. It's good. It's well directed. Anyway, Goodfellas. I like Goodfellas quite a bit. It's a lot of fun um it, it it's four and a half stars in my estimation i can't give it five stars terribly sorry um this Indiana. is probably i've probably seen it four times at this point and probably the most of any scorsese
1: i think it's and, i think it's the most rewatchable it's fun mm, it's most fun yeah yeah and I,
0: I, I, <laughs> it's interesting uh cuz i'm trying to i'm trying to juggle like my thoughts on Scorsese in general and then my thoughts yeah. on goodfellas i did when i watched this and then i recently rewatched the irishman which mm. is uh very similar to this and i almost want to say like someone needs to create like a a box set you know how like criterion does like three film box sets like there's a um a ingmar bergman three film set that's just like three films that are loosely related to each other they have nothing to do with each other they're just related um i feel like Goodfellas, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, and The Irishman need to all be put together because I agree. all Very similar. I agree.
1: They're all uh, very I similar. Like,
0: they are all at the top of of my list of of favorite Scorsese's, and I was actually redoing that list since I watched this and uh, the uh, Shutter Island for the first time. Um, I feel like I have the weirdest Scorsese ranked list because it's none of it makes sense, and I <laughs> I fully appreciate that the fact that Taxi Driver and Raging Bull are way at the bottom, and I've put Wolf of Wall Street way at the top. It, I, I, I don't a lot
1: of people know. really like Wolf of Wall Street, though. Yeah,
0: um, not me. So I, I suppose my main issue with Goodfellas is that I feel like the the pacing, going back to to Marty's storytelling abilities, and it's not a third X slump, or second X slump. Don't don't get me wrong. The the first oh, yeah. half of the film I feel like is, is okay. Not well paced in in relationship to the whole, because it's really once we we catch up to the the burial or the killing and the burying a, a the body that's in the trunk in the trunk, Yeah, then like there's a a, a clear um, progression of events, an escalation of conflict within the, the the mafia that kind of propels the second half of the movie to be mm-hmm. really engaging. But the first half of the movie is That's so
1: interesting to me here. It's like is like everybody says the opposite.
0: Interesting. Cause he, he, here's a kid. He, yeah. he wants to be in the mafia. He gets in the mafia and please explain to me where the character development is for any of the rest of the film. Like, or the stakes, there isn't, there isn't there's no stakes either. Yeah. Like, he's never <coughs> in genuine threat until oh, the, I disagree. In, in, into the third act when he, he fucks up yeah um but for the most part it's there there's not much in the way of of tension stakes character development we start and he's enthralled with the mob and we end he's still enthralled but it's he's done he can't he can't go back yeah um, and so it just doesn't like interest me fully that's interesting i don't want
1: to say it doesn't interest me because it does <laughs> no yeah i get it this, I this get is it. why
0: i can't give it five stars i just i would like more from henry so, character here's my question some more kind of disillusionment
1: or something yeah. but yeah. here's my question then i would assume that you would give godfather five stars shit why does it do this what
0: so i don't know uh, adobe audition has been stopped uh, has been recording and then just stops recording all of a sudden which is oh. great because zoom records the audio so i can uh there's always a backup. Sorry. Let me, I need to start recording again. No yeah, Goodfellas too. It did this with inside too. I caught it sooner though. Um, okay. I'm back. You had a question.
1: My question was uh, would you give Godfather five stars? Yeah. <laughs> That's where I did. Diff- I don't, this is, this is my hot take. Cause I wouldn't, I would do like the same thing you do four and a half. Um, Cause to me, Goodfellas, it's, it's, So I read the book too. Uh, I've seen the movie like 10 plus times before I finally read the book. And the book is essentially, it's an autobiography by this guy in the mafia and, you know, uh, reading through it, he doesn't learn anything. It's just his life and how he got caught. Because to me, Goodfellas is not about Henry. It's about the mob. And to me, it's, it's because Scorsese is like sort of, playing with this idea this notion that people have of the mafia he never uses the word mafia once they you know they say gangster once in the beginning they don't say mobsters they say wise guys good was there's a family like, I, f- I thought i heard that on the commentary where like someone asked him you can't use the word mafia
0: in the film and we'll yeah yes. because they don't
1: really because mm. i as much as i like the Godfather, the, the one thing that never really resonates with me is that this, this fancy make-believe version of something that's so real to me, never quite sat right because it it's a, it's a very Shakespearean movie. You know, you have the, uh, the codes of honor, you have family, you have all these different themes, these super well-developed characters and they're in this fantasy version of the mafia. Goodfellas just destroys all of that. And what it, really what really highlight uh, this movie really highlights as far as scorsese's strength is his like obsession with like processes and rituals because to me that's like most of this movie you're seeing mm. exactly how these people live how fucked up this whole life is and yeah there's no character development because i don't think there's supposed to be i mean henry hill he he's run through this machine and you can see just how this 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 family this culture is not meant for longevity, something that he you know, explores more deeply in The Irishman. But this idea that he just goes through it and everyone he knows is either dead or in jail. That's the whole point of it to me. That is their, It's it's a forced character progression, not by the characters themselves, not by their own actions, but how their actions play into the larger whole that is this mafia structure. But again, what really makes this movie, especially that first half, which you say you don't like, which, you know, I can see why you don't, um, but to me, like, well, you don't like it as much. comparatively, yeah, with the yeah. second half, yeah. And to me, it's not about because, like, to, at the end, as much as I love the ending, which I do, that's the least fun part because everything catches up with it. It becomes a matter of, oh no, this lifestyle is gone. It's it's all his. The actions have consequences or whatever. But that first half is just all about this little minutia of what you know, how this world that is so interesting and unique to so many people is run the 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 reality of it all and there's just scene after scene of just wonderfully constructed scene only specific things that don't necessarily factor into the whole story but it's fun it's fun not a moment of this movie is not fun for me
0: it's a film that has a lot of fun and i almost want to i don't want to disagree with you but i felt like there could have been more like how this mafia works uh kind of stuff because you get a sense that uh, Polly, who's the, the main, uh, mob boss of this uh, particular group of, of mafia. You, you never really get much of a, a sense of what's going on with them because, uh, Henry Hill's kind of like a few steps down, he's doing his own thing with Jimmy and all that kind of stuff. So it's more so like what kind of crime stuff they're doing. And occasionally they, they pay tribute to Polly and yada, yada, yada. And, uh, like, I, I don't know, like, Part of the, the, the interesting stuff from the second half of the film has almost nothing to do with uh, Henry Hill as a character, and I don't think you need to necessarily have him be uh, in, in threatened or anything. Like I don't think the stakes need to be built off of him if it is just uh, a portrait of the life. But part of it is like when they do the the Pan is it the Pan Am? No, the Lufthansa. The Lufthansa, Heist. Lufthansa, the big one. Um, that. Is really interesting, like the fallout from that heist and Jimmy going uh, kind of uh, a little, a little crazy, and all of the people like making little mistakes here and there. That's interesting. Like there's a cause effect. There's it's like okay, Rafifi. You, you can see one person does something wrong and that gets them killed. And a great scene where Jimmy just reams everyone out for buying things and being idiots as they're they're walking <laughs> into the, the the Christmas party at the at the, the bar. Mink. The main that's, coat. That, that's great. Like, like, there's a real sense of here's something that the they're trying to accomplish. Here are the where it goes wrong, where it goes right, what the consequences are for certain people. And it like the, the, the first half of the film is more about just hanging out. For me, it is more about hanging out with uh, Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci in particular, like he's if I if I return to Goodfellas for any reason it's Joe Pesci and he's the best part of the first <laughs> half of the film. I it, it, I mean I agree. the scene where you think I'm a funny funny guy that's that's just, yeah, that's just that's classic, just a, that's classic scene. Uh excellently filmed stuff and of course the famous tracking shot into the the through the basement and the the kitchen of the Copacabana um there I mean there there's a lot to love and there's a lot to to like in that first half and there are little little glimpses of of conflict like in that particular scene where he's like uh, Ray Liotta's character oh he just said the wrong thing and you can't quite tell if uh, Joe Pesci is actually angry with him or if he's just pulling his leg yeah and you figure out he's just pulling his leg but it, it's interesting how like in his head in the voiceover he talks about how like well I, I mean I'm either a dead man or I'm not so I might as well call his bluff and the the interesting little rationale behind that but the fact is like a lot of those scenes it's like here's one scene here's the next scene, here's the next scene. And there's not much connectivity between the two of them other than going through the what's happening with the mob. And that's what I, I didn't particularly uh, care for in, in the first half. And I think there's more connectivity in the the second mm-hmm. half where yeah. not necessarily conflict or anything, but it's a progression of this leads to this, leads to that. And things are reacting to each other, even if it doesn't necessarily have to be conflict, it doesn't necessarily have to be character development.
1: Yeah. Well, th- see, that first half to me, it's all about the seduction because that's what this whole thing is. It's it's a very powerful lifestyle with a lot of um, uh, appeal to it, to mm-hmm. a certain um, uh, type of people. It gets uh, the and, seduction right. Yeah. And that first half, it's just. That's why the third part is so compelling to me, because it's just you're building and you're building and you're building bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And like the second half shows that these actions have consequences. Those stakes aren't present in the first half because it's all about the fun and the the seduction and and the uh, the invincibility that all these characters feel. It's that sense of invincibility that I think really makes that second half so much more powerful, especially when. Henry himself is put into danger because this whole time you're seeing you're seeing people like uh, what's his name? Pete Maury Maury get killed on a whim because they're annoying. And you, you get this sense that, like, okay people just die for no reason. That's another really great scene towards the end when Henry is finally caught by the cops where he basically mm-hmm. says, like, at first I thought I was dead, but then I remembered if it was a if it was a wise guy, I would not have hurt him. I just would have been dead. And that's well, that's that a, whole- that's a
0: whole the whole sequence that one day, like it just goes through. It yeah. Starts in the morning. It's great. One of Scorsese's best sequences, I think. Edited wise. I agree. Directly. Did you did you listen to the commentary? I didn't, I don't think I got that far. I okay. Well, to- it's funny almost to that point but not quite yeah
1: at the end of the commentary that's part in specific which you know that's another one of my favorite sequences is just him driving around looking at that helicopter (laughs) um he it was either the the writer or one of the producers that said that like uh they had some friends who used to do cocaine and anytime they'd get the itch to do it again they would watch that scene in particular because they felt that that it really nails that sense of paranoia And I think it's really
0: great, like subjective (laughs) filmmaking from his uh, Henry Hill's point of view about kind of getting across to the audience, the kind of twitchiness and the the paranoia and everything. And it's coming through with the editing and obviously the acting, but a a lot of it like Thelma Schoonmaker, Great, great job. film.
1: Um, And another thing to me, you know, going off what you said about Henry Hill, and I do agree, Henry Hill of all the characters is like one of the least interesting. I don't find him uninteresting. But he's one of those characters that, to me, he just feels like he's the gateway into this world, into the more interesting things. I find, of all the characters, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, Joe Pesci, Tommy is very interesting. But my favorite is always uh, Jimmy, good old Robert De Niro, because I feel like this is the kind of (laughs) Bobby De Niro (laughs) This this has another thing in common with the Irishman, which are little flaws that I find charming. In the Irishman, there's a scene where a very clearly 80-year-old Robert De Niro has to do some physical activity uh, <laughs> reminiscent of a younger self. I just, every time Robert De Niro is introduced in this movie is the young 20-something-year-old Jimmy Conway. And then it just looks like Creed with the ink in his hair. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> this is, this is the reverse image of the Irishman. When he yeah. Gets old. It's great.
1: It's fine. Cause I mean, it works, but like, it's just, you're no, you're no, you're not fooling anyone. You're, you're <laughs> 42 and it's fine. Um, but yeah, like his, the way his character devolves, especially in the end is just, I get more out of that every time. And you know, people like Polly um uh i also love uh billy bats <laughs> good mm-hmm. old uh frank vincent who recently passed away and lorraine bracco because if there's one thing that has only gone up in my appreciation every time it's her performance specifically her character and just how many goddamn sopranos actors are in this movie it's funny to me like spider
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she does like a great job and i part of the Disappointment in this particular viewing is the fact that she has an interesting role to play in the film with regards to voiceover. and She's the only other person in the film with yeah. a voiceover besides uh, Ray Liotta's character, um, which just kind of gets dropped at some point. Like, I feel like the ending of the film does a disservice to her character, who we've been through so much with, and it just kind of like, okay, they got divorced, bye. And she drops off the edge of the uh, of the film. Um wait, wait. I I would have I would have liked some some sort of resolution, almost like bring back her her voiceover uh in the end or something to, to say like how she feels about it. And I, I don't know. I don't I don't want to say like she she gets uh marginalized in the narrative, but I do yeah. think at times she does, and she's more of a an element for uh, a device for uh, Henry Hill and creating conflict well that, in that.
1: Um, that stuff in particular, the more and more I learn about Scorsese, the more I find it interesting because I have the Scorsese shorts or whatever, mm-hmm. and a lot of Goodfellas specifically is in those shorts because obviously he's a man who's infatuated with the French New Wave and the, and the playfulness of that specific time in filmmaking. And I think that comes out like with just little oddities throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Lorraine Bracco mm-hmm. having a voiceover. Definitely. Uh, f- this. This also and um,
0: The Irishman, as I was rewatching that recently, has some, a couple Godard references editing wise yeah. that I can I can pick out yeah. these days.
1: Like uh, there's the, you know, Lorraine Bracco has a voiceover. Henry Hill addresses the camera uh, at the be- end. At the end yeah, the, that's
0: a great, great moment. Yeah,
1: the Tommy with the gun at the end, the mm-hmm. great train mm-hmm. robbery mm-hmm. Great, reference. Uh, oh, yeah. Even that slow-mo, which, again, it's one of the best shots in all of Where? cinema. Where was the which slow-mo? is Robert de Niro at the bar looking at um, Maury with the cigarette. Sunshine of your Love plays the doo do 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 do. And I don't again, it's completely interruptive to the movie because mm. it's the only time slow-mo is in, but it's just such a perfect shot. And that one in particular, um, this is where I learned a little bit more about Scorsese's style, where, you know, he's when he's in the writing phase of the shooting phase, that's when he comes up with the songs and he'll write them spontaneously. Because I know a lot of people mimic this style of filmmaking where, you know, fun action scene montage over uh, a song. No one does it like him. And I think he just has this spiritual connection between uh, uh, music and film that I, I really don't think anyone else can do. And whenever anyone else tries it, I get annoyed. But when Scorsese does it, I'm like, Magnifique. I
0: it's interesting. This is one of the um, pet peeves I have about Scorsese in general. Oh. Um, and this this was brought out to me in this viewing, particularly reviewing The Irishman, which I love. I potentially like the Irishman more than Goodfellas?
1: I can um, see it because that's also a master.
0: Interestingly choice. enough, for a very similar reason why you prefer Goodfellas over The Godfather, I just find the Irishman to be a, a much better expression of the reality of this kind of life. And uh one of my issues with the the end of Goodfellas is that like it it definitely like it starts with the seductive power of this lifestyle. And I almost want to say for the entire film, it is uh, very much um, almost romanticizing the 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 lifestyle like I, I think anyone who who watches Goodfellas I don't think anyone's getting turned off from a life of crime by watching Goodfellas uh, even at the ending like re- it gets off pretty easily at the end for yeah. being a drug dealer and uh, yeah. being a party to murders and uh, just a few years doing fine uh but i think that's one of the reasons why like the irishman more is like he's just a lonely old robert Ternier, oh, the lo- lonely old man and he had to he had to put down poor poor al pacino
1: Ugh. which i agree i will say this of all of scorsese's movies i think travis bickle's still my favorite scorsese character but a close second is al pacino's jimmy hoffa <laughs> it, it's like i don't know so if you fun. saw this uh recently just complete tangent. Okay. Um good. but recently the Teamsters Union signed a uh landmark deal. Cause I guess the Teamsters Union's still live. Oh, I yeah. had no idea. Oh Yeah,
0: unions still what mafia, believe it or well, not, guys. Uh that that's still a thing. <laughs> There's still a mafia. It's not a well, thing te- of, uh legend.
1: Yeah, Teamsters specifically I didn't realize were still around, but uh I, I was looking looking through Twitter recently. Um and yeah, they said, uh, breaking the teamsters just overwhelmingly voted to pass a landmark and unprecedented resolution to unionize Amazon, which will soon be the largest employer in the U S here's the vote count. And then, uh, this is the top replied image. <laughs> Solidarity. Solidarity. And, then, and then the other most replied one was, uh, if you got it, a truck delivered it <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, you know, watching uh,
0: The Irishman, love the Irishman. Uh, again right after Goodfellas uh, both highlighted the fact that I, I prefer the the narrative arc and storytelling of The Irishman more, but the editing and the filmmaking in Goodfellas is just top peak, peak performance, Marty, and, and it can't perform. Like, The Irishman is well shot, well edited, but it can't quite perform at that level, even though I, I prefer. I agree. I enjoy on, watching it a little more.
1: Yeah, they're on the same wavelength. Um, And but to me, Joey, just to quickly go on your point at the end there, Mm -hmm. I think that's part of what I like about the movie is at the end, Henry Hill is he gets off easy. Um, But to me, it's not like it's not a detriment because when he gets off, he doesn't learn anything. He's at his house getting uh, his paper. And the only thing the only thing that upsets him is that it's over. Doesn't matter what happened. All the people that he fucked over, all the people who are in jail. All the people who are in dead. He's just upset that he has to be a normal guy again. Hmm. And to me, that's like the the whole crux of the movie is that it's not about people. It's not about th- learning. It's about this seduction, and when it's not there, that feeling of emptiness. Yeah,
0: and it, I guess it for me that point doesn't uh, compel me for two and a half hours. It does okay. compel me to a certain extent, just not for the length yeah. and, and the way that uh, Scorsese tells the story. So uh, going way back to what I was trying to get at before we kind of went on this Irishman uh, Jimmy Hoffa tangent. Um, Love Irish. Scorsese has an issue with music um, in that oh. he overuses music. <laughs> and over time, I've just become more and more annoyed with uh, music as a crutch. And I don't think Goodfellas quite gets there. It's, it's almost there. I can't, but I can never complain about it classic songs from the 50s and 60s, and uh, it's all great music. But there are some movies of his, and I think Goodfellas almost teeters on this, where he just uses music way too much. And I don't know why people don't find this annoying. Genuinely annoying. (laughs) Like, if I was in a worse mood, I might find Goodfellas annoying for how much music he he, he relies upon to make scenes work sometimes. But uh, The Irishman... Unfortunately, that's one of the, my uh, my biggest complaints with The Irishman is it, it oh, reuses no. music a lot and then some music uses yeah just uh but Shutter Island, Jesus Christ. Let me bring <laughs> this up, a little side tangent. Oh my god. That film has a lot a lot of good stuff going for it. Um but it is some of the most heavy-handed use of music I've ever seen and it's Scorsese yeah. should be above it. And I I, I it does interesting. like, like there's just a spectrum of Scorsese using too much music and Scorsese using too much music where it's okay. And Goodfellas, it's okay. It's good. Approve of the music choice. And sometimes Shutter Island, it's like, well, you're just using this as a crutch to make things interesting when it's just kind of a poorly paced film.
1: You know, there are some movies I feel that way. For me, that's a huge uh, issue with Dazed and Confused is a movie that does that, I think. But I don't know. I think there's so many of Scorsese's music choices, specifically in Goodfellas. There are ones that I agree with you that uses it too much. But in Goodfellas, so many of them are like, not just they work well for the scene, but I mean, they're iconic. From Rags to Riches. Iconic movie opening. Uh, And Then He Kissed Me. Iconic scene composition. Uh. The Sunshine of Your Love. I don't remember the name of this one, but whatever that song that plays when uh, Henry Hill's driving around looking at the helicopters. Just sporadically hear the singer go, Whoa! And this, I don't know, it just it works really well. And not only I think that's an issue with the Irishman specifically, because it's so the the time period until you get to the very end is very similar. So a lot of the music kind of sounds similar. But I mean, here you have like swinger stuff, then you have like cream and then you have 80s music. And it really helps to um, uh, musically portray this passage of time, whereas something like the Irishman, um, Wolf of Wall Street. God. Oh, I will say this. Okay. Um, I agree with you for the most part that Scorsese relies too much on music. But for me, the most painful example is fucking Gangs of New York. Mm, it's been a You've while seen that, right? That. Yeah. The, the beginning, the beginning starts with this, this beautiful uh, uh, fight scene between like the Catholics and Dan- whatever the hell Daniel Day Lewis is. And they play uh, Dropkick Murphy's Shipping Up to Boston, which is the song that they play in The Departed. And I'm like, mm. OK, this is like a 2003 jam you're playing over this 1800s brawl it's just it's stupid but for good fellows works it works yeah yeah
0: it 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 does work and it it's got a lot of great moments and i suppose as in summary i just wish some of those moments were a bit more connected together and and a mm. bit more um bit more character development from i think everyone to a certain extent lorraine bracca i think has one of the more interesting and not Jimmy, uh, Robert De Niro, two of the more interesting kind of nuanced characters in in the film. Uh, but in general I do really like this film. I don't want to make it I don't want to yeah, no, have it seem like I'm being uh, compared on it. I just see the the glimmers, tendencies of Scorsese that kind of appear more obviously in other films that are just kind of uh, little, little background notes here that I think could have been ironed out but uh, on the whole uh, Goodfellas is great. Uh editing in particular, I have to single out and uh the shot little work, Thelma. shot work in the editing uh you know, Chandler already answered the question of does it deserve to be on the b f i list uh, I'm gonna answer with a uh, a yes actually, wow, believe it or not damn um I don't think it's uh needs to be any higher maybe a little lower but uh'll say- some point doesn't matter it it's yeah. good it really good it is a piece of film history, and it, yeah. I think it is uh, one of. For me, Scorsese's best made film, even though it might not be my my favorite.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: We'll see how we'll we'll see how that goes when we uh watch uh. Grey it's Grey better
1: Grey than, Grey than Grey the Grey Red Grey Shoes. Shoes. Just kidding. I don't know. Actually, it is. But yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next?
0: So what is next? That's a great question. Who knows? Because I don't.
1: What happened to the um, list? I thought you used to have it on you.
0: I had a piece of paper, and I'm surprised I didn't lose it before. Now, um, <laughs> it's it's around here somewhere. Um, I did write down what was next somewhere on one of these uh, random uh, scheduled area. Good fellow. so wolf. we did that. Um, ah, so we've been putting off Sancho the bailiff for a while. I was going to see if Daisuke wanted to talk about that, but I think he's talked about that on the channel before. So maybe okay. Maybe we should watch that eventually if you're in the mood, or we could do Rear Window. Um, uh, or uh, Lucino Visconti's The Leopard. So those those are that's what's coming oh, up, man. Uh, ah, next episode we will probably record before the June Criterion Barnes and Noble sale, so we'll probably check in on that um and then we'll have a discussion maybe on the the benefits of boring cinema so we're not quite sure what the movie is we'll figure that out uh, we'll figure it out yeah and if if if,
1: if by the great time pairing I wrote, with rear window the most unboring movie of all time <laughs> if if i if we figured
0: that out before i release this episode i will put that in the uh, the show notes on the on the website yada yada so you'll uh, you'll know check that out uh, if there's nothing there you'll know we haven't yet discussed so yeah uh if you're watching this on youtube or wherever you're watching this uh subscribe and uh leave a comment tell me you tell me i'm wrong about scorsese tell me why you like him uh and um Leave a like if you like it, and, and feel free to dislike if you if you don't like it. If I'm really triggering you with my Scorsese hot takes, <laughs> uh, I I actually I could have been harsher, but I, hmm.
1: we'll we'll wait for Taxi Driver, or or yeah, raging we'll wait for
0: Raging 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 Bull. Yeah,
1: uh, hey, Taxi I'll Driver. I'll,
0: I will be quite. positive. I think I will be. That will be a uh, a glorious uh, triumphal return for
1: this is the, the Jacob, Jacob Coffin Black. Redemption arc. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I will try to since I did watch. Shutter Island, I'm going to try to watch a few more Scorsese's and kind of round out his filmography. So I have a better. Oh, uh, better. Bringing Out the Dead is on. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Prime. Yeah. So I think I'll watch that uh, soon. I, I'm actually going to, to go to ahead and decide next week what we're doing. Mm. I don't know about what movie, but I, I, I recall you did want to have a brief but heated discussion on Raiders. Oh, yeah. We can have a brief but discussion on that. Yeah. 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 I can yeah. rewatch that.
0: Let me put that on my yeah. schedule. All right, perfect. So that's about it. Thank you for listening to the Split Take podcast. Uh, this has been another uh, wonderful, fun episode discussing movies. I'll see you all later. See ya. Get stuckmanized. <laughs>